So our sermon text for this morning is from Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14. We're actually going to read 14 through 25, uh, but we're going to start in verse 14. This continues on where we left off last week in chapter 7, as we continue our series, Victory. And so here we go, starting in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know uh, that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. (coughs) This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. So we're going to be talking about this, obviously, today, uh, this passage from Romans, but I actually wanted to start with something that Jesus said. Jesus once, when talking about uh, sin and good works, uh, likened it to a fruit tree bearing fruit. Here's what he said. Uh, He said, a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit, and is fit for nothing other than to be cut down and thrown into the fire. And so... uh, People, uh, we tend to think of sin in those terms of good and bad fruit and how we deal with the bad fruit in our lives um, varies from person to person. There's really two ways that we can deal with bad fruit (coughs) and deal with our desire to bear good fruit. The first is what you see a lot of people do, uh, which is where um, they will try to get rid of all the bad fruit. So in other words, like if it were uh, an actual tree, they would just pick off the bad fruit and throw it away. So for us, dealing with sin, here's what that looks like. That looks like trying to get rid of sin in and around our lives. So uh, picking off the bad fruit for us can often mean simply trying to avoid sin. Like I do this one certain sin, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to get rid of that sin out of my life. I'm not going to commit that sin anymore. Right? Or on a corporate level, sort of as a body, we might do that by excluding people that are involved in certain sins, right? And say they're no longer a part of our fellowship. Now, that, those things actually can be biblical under the right circumstances. The Bible does talk about those. Uh, again, staying with the, uh, the uh, gardening metaphor, it talks about pruning sometimes, right? Cutting away the unhealthy parts of a branch or tree so that healthy uh, stuff can grow in its place. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about church discipline uh, for those that are, are, are living outside of the life that God wants us to live. But I, I noticed something, though. 
When Jesus talked about a good tree bearing good fruit and a bad tree bearing bad fruit, it's important to know what he also did not say. Because what he didn't say was, he didn't say a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. So make sure you bear good fruit and stop bearing bad fruit. That's not what he said. He simply stated that a good tree will bear good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. And so really it becomes a question of what type of tree are you? Are you a good tree or are you a bad tree? And that's something that the Apostle Paul is dealing with here. Only we see that his struggle is that he recognizes that in a sense, he's both a good tree and a bad tree. He is what we often refer to in the theology of our church. He is both sinner and saint. Sinner and saint. Now, uh, if you've been coming here for a while, we have talked about this before, so maybe it is familiar to you, but maybe it is not. And so you may be wondering, how is it that we can be both sinner and saint at the same time? And the answer is actually somewhat simple. You see, we all know the gospel. We all believe the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins on the cross, paid the price for them, and then rose from the dead victorious. And because of that, we have forgiveness for all of our sins. All of our sins we ever have committed, all of the sins we ever will commit. Then in fact, the Bible uses imagery like this, as gruesome as it may sound, that we are covered in the blood of Christ. So that when God looks at us, he sees us as having the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at us, he sees us as saints who are holy and pure and righteous. So you can absolutely say that we are saints in the eyes of God because of Jesus Christ. And yet, it is very clear and very obvious that when it comes to actually living our lives, we still sin. We still do things that we know are not right. We still fail to do the things that we know are right. This is the exact thing that the Apostle Paul noticed in his own life. He said in verse 19, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. He notes that tension that we have between being sinner and saint. And it's something we all have. And you know, uh, you know what it is, right? You know in your own life the thing that you struggle with. You know, people a lot of times want to think uh, at times like this of sexual sins, right? Because those tend to be somewhat addictive and things like that. But uh, to be honest, it's not just about that. In fact, uh, a lot of times we focus so much on those things that people end up walking away thinking that if that's not their issue, then they're fine. But we all have issues, don't we? Even when that's not it. I mean, maybe your issue is anger. 
and you're constantly getting angry at people and snapping at the ones you love and saying hurtful things to people that you love and that you care about, and you know it's destroying your relationship, Uh, you know it's not the way God wants you to be, and yet you find yourself doing it all the time. And maybe that's not even it. Maybe it's not even a sin in that sense in which we normally think about it. You know, it always stands out to me that when Jesus told the parable of the sheep and the goats, do you remember that? It was like a a metaphor for what it was going to be like on the day of judgment. And he separated everyone into sheep and goats. And the sheep were good and got to come with him. And the goats were bad and they got sent away. The rubric, the thing he uses to judge between them was not whether they had been immoral or whether they had done some sexual sin or whether they had lied or something like that. It was that they failed to do good for anyone else. Jesus said to the goats, you saw me hungry and did not feed me. You saw me thirsty and gave me nothing to drink. You saw me naked and did not clothe me. You saw me sick or in prison and did not come to visit me. Maybe that's your issue. Maybe your issue is that you come to church every week and you believe in Jesus and that's great, but you never do one thing to help other people in the community or in your life. The truth of the matter is, ultimately, I don't know what your issue is. Just like you really don't know what mine is. God knows. But we all have one. We all have something that we're struggling with in our lives. And I'll tell you, um, that's dangerous. The Apostle Paul, when he talks about this sin, he uses language of captivity and slavery. He says in verse 14, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Because when you continue to sin, you are turning away from the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ and you are letting sin be your master. You are letting sin be in control of you. And that road can lead to some very bad things because sin is damaging and sin is dangerous. Actually, I had something happen to me this past week that makes me think of this, that reminds me of how sin works in our lives. We had car trouble. We, uh, my wife noticed the car that she usually drives, her daily driver. Uh, over the past week, she noticed that the air conditioning was starting to smell kind of funky a little musty and stuff. And it got worse and worse and worse. And finally, it was untenable, guys. It was nasty, rank smell. And so we kind of looked up, we talked to some people what it could be, and we found out that sometimes the drainage on your air conditioning can get plugged up, and then the water in there and the leaves and that kind of stuff rot, and it can make this nasty smell. And so we took it in to get it worked on. And uh, because I'm telling you guys, you could not stand it. It was so bad. And so we took it in, uh, and the guy calls me a couple hours later, and he says, well, we know what your problem is. And I said, great, was it that the the drainage thing was plugged up or whatever? He goes, nope. (laughs) He goes, we found two large rodent nests in your car. One of which they had constructed right on top of the blower motor for the air conditioning unit. And so what we were smelling that we thought smelled like a dead animal was a dead animal. 
or animals. And also, they had done tons of damage. The, because they built the nest right on top of the blower, it burned out the blower motor. They were chewing on wires. In the end, over $1,000 in damage. Crazy. Now, just so you, know, so you don't feel bad for me, I mean, we're not doing a door offering at the end of the, you know. Uh, our insurance, as it turns out, covers that, which is great. So we just had to pay our deductible. Phew. But my point is this, in mentioning the amount, is it just shows, like, it's insane they did that much damage. And I assure you, we don't live in squalor. Like, we don't, our house is not overrun with vermin. Uh, and so, I don't know how this happened, but they're out there, I guess. And they get in, they got in, you know, a place I would never suspect. I mean, I guess it's actually not that uncommon, the guy told me, but I had never heard of that before. It never happened to me before. And I can't believe they managed to get in there. And it's a little creepy thinking about how long we might have been driving around with them in there. Um, yeah, at least a week. <laughs> That's right. That's when they were dead. How long did they live in there? That's what I want to know. Um, man, that's just like sin. It's just like sin. Because I'll tell you, we can spend all our time trying to keep our house clean, trying to keep all the sin outside, and think, oh, the sin's just, sin's out there. It's not in here, it's out there, right? But man, it can get in anywhere. In places that you do not expect. And when it does, it can cause massive amounts of damage. And it can literally start to stink up your life. When that happens, when that happens, we find ourselves in a position where we're not experiencing the kind of life God wants us to have. We're not experiencing the freedom in Christ that he has given us. But instead, we're dealing with the stench and the damage that comes from letting sin into our lives. And I'll tell you, you can see that from the very beginning. You can go all the way back to Adam and Eve, where God created a perfect and holy world with perfect and holy people. And Adam and Eve sinned. And when they did, they let sin in. And when that sin got in, it began to do damage. It brought with it, first of all, death. And then sickness and pain and suffering and all the things that accompany death. And now we live in a world that sometimes stinks because we have to deal with sin and evil in it. But fortunately for us, the story of us trying to deal with sin in our lives and us trying to deal with sin in the world and us trying to uh, get back to having a relationship with God, fortunately, that's not just our story. It's not just about how we deal with sin and how we get back to God. It's about how God deals with sin. And it's about how he brings us back to him. And how he restores our relationship with him. Right after Adam and Eve sinned, God already knew what he was going to do. 
in that moment when he was telling them the consequences of their sins and the punishment for their sins, he says this, from, this is from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And right there already, we see the cure to our disease. We see the cure to sin that has come in the world, and it's Jesus Christ. Who will be bruised as he goes through his suffering and death, but who ultimately will be victorious and crush evil and defeat evil and defeat sin. This is why the Apostle Paul closes this little segment with these words. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because the Apostle Paul knows we are delivered from sin through Jesus and through the work he did on the cross. Now, I know what you may be thinking, or at least what you could be thinking, which is this. All right, that's great, Pastor Matt, but didn't we just come full circle? Aren't we just kind of back where we started now, where we go, okay, we're forgiven in Jesus Christ, which is great, uh, but we continue to sin. Isn't there an answer to that? Isn't there something more that can help us with the actual sin in our life? And the answer is both no and yes. Honestly, I mean, we have to recognize that in this life, as long as we live in what the Apostle Paul called this body of death, right? This sinful world around us, we are always going to have to deal with sin. We're never going to attain perfection. Even the Apostle Paul recognized that that wasn't going to happen to him. But there's two answers that God gives us. And the first is this. That doesn't mean it never will, because we know and we believe in the Easter message that Jesus rose from the dead and that one day he's coming back. And when he does, we too are going to be raised to new life. We too are going to be glorified so that we no longer live in bodies that are subject to death. And at that time, we won't be sinner and saint anymore. We will just be saint. And so we have that sure hope waiting for us. But even that, there is still more because he does help us now. God knows that we're going to struggle with sin. And so he gives us gifts graciously to help us. He gives us his word, the Bible, through which uh, we know the spirit works, which strengthens us and teaches us and encourages us and helps us to live differently. He gives us the opportunity to gather together in worship like this where he promises wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he is with us so we know we have his presence here to strengthen us and encourage us. We know that God promises uh, when we confess our sins to one another and when we forgive our sins to one another, that helps us. 
We know that Jesus comes to us, his body and blood, in and with the bread and wine, to forgive our sins and to strengthen us as well. All those things are there for us. All those things make a real difference. All those actually help us, not just uh, to be spiritually forgiven, but also to actually live a different and new life. You see, it really is about identity. The Apostle Paul says in verse 20, Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. We recognize that when we do sin, that's not really who we are anymore. That's not what our true identity is in Christ. And so God is continually making us new. We started out uh, talking about the good tree bearing good fruit and the bad tree bearing bad fruit. So my wife and I actually have a bad tree. It's not a fruit tree, but somebody gave us a palm tree. It was actually this beautiful palm tree, and we planted it in our backyard, and because my wife and I are terrible at gardening, it's almost dead now. It's drooping, it's yellowing, you know. And so we know what we need to do to help it, though. We need to water it more, and we're going to get some of those fertilizer stakes to put around it, that go in the ground, to feed it. To help the tree, we are going to feed and water the tree. You see, that's how God helps us. It's not just about trying to pick off all the bad fruit in your life, because guess what? You can never do it. But you can feed and water the tree. You can stay in the word. You can stay in worship. You can pray. And when you do, you're going to draw closer to Jesus, not farther. And when you draw closer to Jesus, he is going to continually be turning you into a good tree that bears good fruit. That's who we are. We are people that have been changed into good trees. And we continue to take part in those gifts so that we'll also bear the good fruit. And in Jesus' name. Amen.